Welcome back to Podcast Recovery, everyone. We're your hosts, David O. And Eric V. It throws you off every time. I hate that it, it throws you off every, every, every single time. time. It's amazing. It. It's actually, it. but we're talking kind of like succinctly now, but for that split second, it messes you up. I hate you. <laughs> so today we are joined by our lovely guest, guest Devin. How are you doing today? Good, good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So uh, where are you from, Devin? Uh, I live in Massachusetts. Oh, nice. Yeah. What part of Massachusetts? Well, I grew up in Plymouth, America's hometown, but right now mm-hmm. I have, we bought a house a few years ago, about seven years ago, in Fall River. Not too many oh, people okay. know about Fall River, but it's where the battleships are and all kinds of fun history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So when were you first introduced to recovery? Um, That's kind of a loaded question. Um, I've always heard about sobriety um mm-hmm. but then i never wanted to be sober so i've heard about yep. it but i never wanted to be it um and then i did think about it seriously for quite a few years probably starting in 2014 maybe was it was a mm-hmm. serious thought but it was not a reality at all and yeah. um so then i um yeah, I definitely didn't. It was a couple of years before, you know, it actually happened. <laughs> and uh, how long have you been sober? I've been sober since November 17th, 2016. Awesome. I'm, I'm right around the same time. I'm a, I'm a November 26th, but I'm a, I'm a few years ahead of you. I'm 2012. Fun. That's exciting. Congratulations. But- Thank you, and congratulations to you as well. And with all that out of the way, I'm going to turn it over to you to share your story with us, so take it away. So my story, you know, it's hard when people ask me when, you know, to tell my story and how I got sober and all this stuff, because, you know, my whole life, I never thought I had a problem. So in my house, I grew up with, you know, my parents, they both were divorced and then Mm -hmm. remarried. So I was in like, a, you know, going to my dad's house on weekends and living at home. And so I had two separate lives pretty much. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, different friends, different things, like just everything was different, different birthday parties, everything. And um, both my parents were drinkers. Um, again, not categorized as alcoholics or any kind of problem with it. It was just like a normal thing to do to have beer in the house and occasionally have shots and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it wasn't a thing, you know, and we did everybody in the family, pretty much everybody had their own form of mental illness, whether it be like depression or anxiety or bipolar or, you know, so many different things. And so again, that wasn't, you know, something different for us. We all were used to it. You know, it was a joke almost like, Oh, she's a little crazy today, you know? So in my family, mm-hmm. you know, not, it wasn't like, uh, you know, we talked about everything and nothing was, you know, there was no issues with anything. Nobody had any problems and everybody thought everybody was just fine. Um, but yeah. obviously we did have, you know, a lot of alcoholics in the family and nobody ever talked about getting sober. So I mm-hmm. never even thought of those kind of things. And um, so my kid, my childhood was normal. Everything was pretty normal about that. Just regular kid stuff. Um Nothing crazy. Um, and then as I got into, like, my teenage years, you know, I seemed to be a little, I don't know, I guess I kind of bounced between clicks. And, uh, 
Mm-hmm. You know, I had friends in all different cliques, but I never really fit in with anybody. So it's like whatever anybody mm-hmm. else was doing, I did to fit in with them. So mm-hmm. if that was to do, you know, do drugs on a at a party, that was it, you know, and you know, there was no limit to what the drugs were at around 14. You know, I had my first drink at 14 and everybody was drinking. So I was like, cool, I fit in with these kids because now I'm drinking. And do you remember uh, what your first drink was? Yes, it was, um, well, it wasn't Jack and Coke, but it was like Jack in like a Pepsi bottle outside of a movie mm-hmm. theater and like uh. near like the trash barrels. <laughs> we all <laughs> filled up our bottles and went into the movie with them. And I right. definitely, I remember that night because it was like, I knew I was doing something bad, but at the same time, the more I drank, the more I forgot how bad it was. And I mm-hmm. didn't even think about like what happened when my parents picked me up, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. um, so like and that night I didn't get in trouble. I didn't get caught, you know, so to say. And so I was like, well, I got away with it. So it mm-hmm. just kept happening. So, you know. Plymouth isn't, you know, it's not a big city. There's not too much to do. Um, there's bonfires yeah. and there's cranberry bogs and a lot of parties, you know? So, Oh, yeah. Um, Sounds about right. Yeah. So being a teenager, it was, you know, it's just a thing you did. And I don't really think anybody was doing it, you know, uh, as an addiction. Everybody was just, you know, we would just binge drinking and having fun. So that went on for, you know, a couple of years and, um, you know, mixed in with the drugs. The drugs was, again, it was just like a Friday night kind of thing or a Mm -hmm. Saturday thing. And, um, but whenever I did something, I always did it to the extreme. Like I definitely binged it. I never knew when to stop. I was like, let's just keep giving it to me. Keep giving it to me. And I just Mm -hmm. wanted to keep chasing that feeling. And, um, Obviously, that, you know, led into more, you know, as the years went on. And then I ended up um, getting pregnant when I was 18. And so once that Mm. happened, like something in my head clicked, like, oh, you can't do this stuff anymore. And so I had, Mm -hmm. you know, my entire pregnancy, I didn't do drugs or drink. So that was, you know, just nine months of, well, it's really 10 months, but, you know, no drinking, no drugs. I still had all those friends, though. And, um... So then once the baby was born, my son, I um, was still young and everybody was partying. Nobody had kids. So on the weekends or when I wasn't working, I just went back to drinking. And it was a little bit different. I didn't do it as bingy, I guess you could say, because I mm-hmm. had to go home to my son. But yeah. I still definitely overindulged on it. And so, like... Um, Again, this was only now drinking. I no longer did drugs. And I think in the back of my brain was like, drugs are bad. You know, you can't be a mom and do drugs. But mm-hmm. what's stopping you from drinking? It's a legal thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't old enough to drink. But obviously, you know, that never stopped me when I was 14. So it didn't stop me. Then. Yeah. And then, um, you know, things changed. Um, I ended up finding, you know, my another man, I guess you could say. And... We decided to start a family, and I had mm-hmm. my second son. And, again, that was another time where I just wasn't, I really, I didn't drink because I was pregnant. And then once I had him, I I really didn't drink that much. Um, my Their father, he was, he was a drinker himself, and he had, um, you know, his own, you know, whatever he had. And um, I just felt like, as a mother, I couldn't 
I couldn't enjoy the drinking and I couldn't, you know, have fun anymore because I needed to be the responsible one as the mother. Like that was my job and I yeah. took it very seriously. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I ended up getting like a really good job because I went, you know, all this whole time I was going back to college, like I was getting a degree and I was doing, you know, working and I ended up getting, I do EEGs and EMGs and sleep studies. So it's in the medical field, which of course, you know, most people in the medical field just do good because it's such a booming industry, you know? So yeah. I jumped up the ladder pretty quick because, you know, I just, I really enjoyed it and I was good at it. And so with that is like more responsibility and all that stuff. So as the years went on, you know, the kids were getting older, you know, my ex was drinking more, which caused more stress. I feel like to me, you know, like my mental Mm -hmm. illness was starting to come up more, um, Mm -hmm. pressures at work, you know, like it just kind of all added up and I was just drinking like a maniac. You know, I started drinking, you know, wine at night after work. I started drinking shots here and there. Uh, I was definitely binging on the weekends, like, back in my, you know, teenage days, like binge drinking. And, um, and I still never felt like I had a problem because I thought I was just a 24 year old having fun, you know, like who was I hurting? I I was going to work every day, paying my bills, not drinking and driving. Like I was doing what I had to do. So I thought I was being cautious and being good. And, you know, I really didn't think I had a problem. And, um, you were the, the functioning alcoholic. Very much so. (laughs) (laughs) So the problem was that one of my brothers, me and him were very, very close, best friends, and we were drinking buddies as well. So um, that was another thing that was kind of like our connection. You know, we obviously we were were siblings, but we were best friends, and we just enjoyed doing everything together. And, um, you know, obviously we were very, very close, and um, he had mental illness as well. And his drinking um, really got to a bad, you know, a bad point in his life where he would joke about things that I didn't think was funny, Um, you know, doing drugs and, you know, swerving off the road and killing himself. And, you know, it just got really dark. And um, he he ended up killing himself. And um, when... Oh, my God. Yeah. So when he killed himself, that... It's like, you know, there was a lot of controversy about it, too, because that night he had been drinking, he had been doing drugs. So it's like, did he mean to do it? You know, all these thoughts that go in your mind, you know, and it's like, I didn't have him to ask now, you know, like, why did you do this? What happened? And I had no answers except for the alcohol, you know, like, so that day I, I started drinking tequila from that day on every single day, you know, and it was no longer... Um, you know, it wasn't like a weekend thing. Now it was every single day and it was, um, you know, a lot. It wasn't like a shot here and there. It was like four shots, you know? So, um, as that started happening, like my health started doing some funny things. Um, I started having like belly problems and I was getting, you know, my mental illness was definitely, you know, raring to go now because now I'm just adding fuel to the fire. And no matter what any psychiatrist ever said, you know, I didn't listen to them because I thought I was just self-medicating with booze anyways. I thought that was the answer. And, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously I knew better than everybody else, or so I thought. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it just kept kept getting worse and worse as the time went on. But I couldn't see that, you know. I just still thought I was doing what 
people do when they're hurting and mourning, you know? I thought this is what people do when they have, you know, abusive relationships. I thought this is what people do when, you know, they're tired of their life. I didn't think there was a problem with that. I just thought that was how I coped because that's all I knew, you know? Nobody ever said there's other ways of coping with these kind of things. Yeah. And, um, so at one point, though, my parents, who were both nurses, um, even though they were still, you know, drinkers, I didn't live in the home, so I don't know how much they drank, but they decided to sit me down for, um, you know, like an intervention. And, mm-hmm. uh, and at the time, I just thought that was so ridiculous because they were both drinkers, and how could they do an intervention on me? Like, who does yeah. that? That's so hypocritical. And, mm-hmm. um, and at that point, I think that actually caused me to drink more because I almost, in my mind, I thought, like, well, I'm going to drink as much as I want and show them all that I'm fine. You know, there's nothing to worry about. And, yeah. um, and so it definitely, it just kept going and going. Now this has been, you know, at this point now I'm probably 26. Um, my kids are, you know, like eight and six. Um, I ended up leaving their father. I got my own house. And when I did that, that was like, don't hold me back now. Like, just give me all the booze in the world because nobody is watching me. Nobody is telling me what to do. I'm the boss of my house and I can put the booze in any room I want. I wanted to have booze up in my bedroom or in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. As long as, you know, I put it up high so the kids couldn't get it. But I had all these little hiding spots for it just in case I needed it, you know? Yeah. And, um, again, the health problems kept coming and kept coming. And then, um, and they were always the same thing. It was always like a stomach related issue. Um, like always. And so we just, the doctors, you know, would do testing and say, it's just irritable bowel syndrome. And, you know, and I obviously never told them how much I drank. So they yeah. never attributed the alcohol to it. They just thought mm-hmm. there's something wrong with me. I'm a young lady and there's something wrong with me, you know, and they were trying to get to the bottom of it, but I wasn't telling them the whole truth of everything. And, um, so I ended up, I, I met a man and fell in love and we got married and bought another house. And now of course, buying a new house, you know, getting a mortgage and all the, you know, all oh, the bills yeah. that, you know, it was like the stress just came right back again. And, um, so I wasn't dealing with being a single parent anymore, but I was, I still had that same job, which at this point now I wasn't as good as I was before because now I've been, you know, calling up sick and I've had to take time off for my appointments, for my medical issues. And, you know, some things were, you know, um, actual appointments, like for my kids and stuff, being a single mom, you do have to take time off of work. So that, some of that stuff was actually, you know, normal things, but a lot yeah. of it was because I was, you know, hungover or it was a snowstorm and I was like, shit, I'm drinking tonight, you know, and then mm-hmm. I'd be like, oh, I can't go to work the next day now, you know, so it's, uh, poor decisions on my part. And, uh, again, I don't really think I thought I had a problem. I, I really, yeah. I really just thought this is what you do. And, um, and then like I started gaining weight and like stupid things like, you know, beach body or something, you know, would say you need to stop drinking if you want to lose the weight. And I, you know, I'd make a choice to keep drinking and not lose the weight. So whatever yeah. my health goals were went right out the window because I didn't care, you know, I'd rather mm. drink. So, um, eventually I was fired for my job. And that mm. was like, you know, everything in my mind, everything has been built up like those whole, you know, however many years 
um, 12 years or 13 years of me being, you know, top of my game and everybody looking up to me and me having, you know, all this management and doing more and more every year. And now all of a sudden I got fired. Like, that's so embarrassing. That's, you know, it was like a shock to the system and like my ego. Definitely. It was, it was just really hard, you know, and I knew it was coming, but it was still hard, you know? And so, um, I started drinking way more now. So I started drinking at like eight in the morning and until nighttime. And, um, that lasted for about uh, three weeks until my body decided to shut down completely. And I, uh, oh, wow. yeah, I ended up going into multi-organ failure. Um, Whoa. and then after the multi-organ failure, I was, it took like a week and thankfully because I was young, I was about 33 years old. I stayed in the hospital for a week. My organs bounced back like 100%. And so they sent me home and that was amazing. And, you know, I, in my mind, I didn't drink at this point. I was a week sober, but I was thinking about how I could start drinking again. Like what my, my kind of like my schedule of drinking, like I was just going to slow it down. Like I was thinking of how I would do this. And, um, and then before I could think about it anymore, I ended up passing out and I couldn't get up. And so I went back to the hospital and they found that I was paralyzed on my entire left side of my body from my brain all the way to my toes. And they, um, you know, this, yeah. So it was, um, it was two months in the hospital of me paralyzed, like laying in the bed with nurses, 24 hour care. Uh, doctors had no idea what was going on. Everybody just kept saying chronic alcoholism. And I kept saying, because I worked in, the you know, neurology, I knew about this stuff. I'm like, this isn't chronic alcoholism. There is something more than this. And um, it was a lot of testing and a lot of, you know, no good prognosis. There was no prognosis. They were, you know, they were trying to keep me from not choking on my food and trying to keep me elevated so I wouldn't, you know, throw up or, you know, my lungs weren't working to full capacity. It was just, it was a very scary time. And at that point... I was yeah. still, I was still sober. So I'm thinking in my head, like, how can I be sober and all this shit be happening to me? Like, that's not fair. Like all my yeah. life, I've never wanted to be sober. And then the last couple of years I thought about it, but I was afraid to. And now that I'm actually sober, nothing's going the way it's supposed to go. Like I thought, like in my head, I, you know, cause I have all this time now I'm laying in a hospital bed, like, you know, with nobody to talk to. My kids are at home with, you know, with their father and, you know, and I'm in a hospital an hour and a half away from my house. I have no, you know, my parents and my husband did some visit, but like at nighttime, you know, you're all alone for hours just contemplating mm-hmm. everything you did. And yeah. it was just, it was so awful. And I had nothing. I, I just, I thought I was going to die like that. And it was just such an eye opener because that I did it to myself, you know, like nobody mm-hmm. did that to me. Nobody, you know. I didn't get hit by a car, you know, like I did it myself 100% by giving myself alcohol. So they ended up finding um, a lesion on my brain stem. And that was the reason why it was all one side of my body that was affected versus, mm-hmm. you know, both sides. And um, so I ended up going through some treatments and they reduced the um, the swelling of the lesion and it it lifted off enough that I was able to start moving my arm again, moving my leg again. I started, I was able to talk again because this whole time I couldn't even talk. I couldn't speak any words, you know? And, um, so that was, um, that was really hard. Um, because now I, I know I'm, I'm not dead, but 
someone's taking care of me. And, all, you know, it was just so, t- it was so hard being, you know, a wife and a mother in a hospital having no yeah. control over my life. And, was, um, was the brain, was the lesion on your brainstem, was that like due to dr- like excessive drinking? No. So the lesion okay. on the brainstem, it's actually called CPM, central pontine myelinosis. It, mm-hmm. it was actually, it was, it formed because of the sodium that they gave me when I was in the multi-organ failure. They gave oh, okay. Me, yeah. So there's like a certain, like, you know, a certain level of sodium that's supposed to give every certain hours or whatever. And they gave yeah. too much and I didn't have enough water in my system. So it was like an oh, osmosis wow. effect. And so like, it just started growing like a calcification slowly. And that's why that time period, nobody, you know, they couldn't find anything. They couldn't see it yeah. until it was, you know, a big sucker just sitting there. Mm. And, um, so they, you know, I did all the rehab and the recovery it took me. And that's the, the, that's the wacky part is that while I was in the hospital, like I prayed to God and I'm not religious. Like I'm not religious mm-hmm. at all. Like I've never in my lifetime, never gone to church. I've never been a religious person. I knew about religion, but I wasn't religious. Yeah. And I, I prayed to God and I, I asked him, I said, please just keep me healthy for my kids and keep me alive and I'll do anything. Like I didn't care. Like. I will just like, I'll go to India. I'll go to like, I'll go anywhere and I'll help people. Like I didn't even care. As long as I was alive, I would do anything. And I obviously I promised to never drink again. And, um, so that was a big thing too, because I don't, I didn't know how to live without drinking. Like what was going to happen if I got to go home, what would I do? And, um, so I ended up recovering physically in the rehab and, um, I didn't have any kind of alcohol intervention. I didn't have any kind of therapy, it was just pretty much focusing on my physical recovery um, at mm-hmm. that point. So they just sent me home, and they sent me home in a wheelchair, and um, I was just expected to, you know, do everything else from that point on. You know, it was um, it was pretty. Nobody said like you have to go to AA, you have to do this. Like it was just left mm-hmm. up to me to do whatever I wanted. And, um, and I thought about it. You know, I did think about it. I thought, you know, I really could just start drinking again and just. I could just end my life and I won't be in a wheelchair and I won't, I won't be this miserable person that people have to help and all the different feelings that I had, you know, just like low self-esteem. Like, why does my husband want to be with somebody in a wheelchair? Why does my kids, you know, they don't want that either. And again, I got to another turning point where I I finally, I woke up and I said, no, this isn't how it's going to be. Like, I'm just, I'm going to be the best I can be. Like God gave me a second chance for whatever reason. I'm going to do it. And so I, um, I just, at that point I went to an AA meeting at my six Mm -hmm. months now. So at six months I was actually back to walking. Um, I was with a, I was with a walker, but I was walking with my own feet, you know, my own legs. And it was, uh, you know, definitely an amazing feeling. And, um, so I went to AA thinking this is, you know, I'm now going to get, I'm going to take care of my recovery. I'm going to, I'm going to get, you know, make sure my sobriety is really on point because, you know, I, I, I can't, I can't mess up again, you know? And, um, and so I went to the AA meeting with such high hopes. And when I got there, I, I went with my dad, who was, like I said, my dad's a nurse. And so he was like, I'll take you, let's go. We had like a dinner and it was such a nice night. And the group itself, it could, you know, it, it was just, it was like a mixed group. One of those mixed groups where it was all different, yeah. um, like NA and AA and men and women. I mean, there was so many different people and 
I just got overwhelmed and I did not like it at all. Hmm. And I said, yeah. you know, I said, fuck this. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing AA. I'm six months sober and screw all you. Like I've already showed you I'm six months sober. So ha ha ha, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so that was it for, you know, about another year. I just, I physically worked on myself, uh, physically, you know, physically, mentally, you know, there was a lot when I, when I recovered, I recovered with a lot of phys- um, permanent disabilities, like uh, neuropathy, um, my depression got worse, my bipolar got worse, my anxiety got worse. I now had high blood pressure. I was on like 10 different pills every day to combat all the issues I was on. And, um, and uh, of course, that comes with all the side effects. And so, like, I wasn't, even though I was sober, I was... I was still having a hard time because I was like, I I wasn't able to think clearly. I wasn't able to like, you know, put my thoughts to my words and express myself. And it was very upsetting and it was, you know, adding to all that depression. And it was just, I knew I had to figure out something else. I knew I couldn't live physically. I couldn't live feeling like that because the neuropathy was so awful. And, you know, yeah. it's just, Neuropathy is an awful, awful disease to have, and I knew I couldn't live like that the rest of my life, but I also knew I couldn't kill myself, you know, like, so I was asking, yeah. like, what do I do? And so I really, I, um, I just buckled down, and I got off all the medication, and I did one by one, and I started taking supplements and uh, natural, like, CBD oil without THC, just the CBD itself from the hemp plant, and then I would take, you know, um, joint supplements and B12s and all the different kinds of vitamins so I could like really perk up my body and I um and I was able to get off all the meds and that that was such a big thing because now I was able to think more clearly and I was able to like actually put some like goals on the paper in my head and then follow through with it because now I just had this like you know I was able to do more things physically too so that helped and, um, mm-hmm. and it was, just, it was another turning point. And at that point I had, I was about, I was like a year sober. And so, you know, there was a lot of thought that like, what if I, what if I get so healthy physically, because now I'm doing everything holistically. I changed my diet, you know, I'm doing yeah. like physical stuff, you know, and I felt really good. I still had all my issues, but nowhere close to what it was before. So I thought to mm-hmm. myself, what if I get so healthy that I forget about all that pain? I forget about being paralyzed. I forget about all that depression. I forget about all that. Like what happens if that happens? Mm. And then I'm like, so comfortable that I just start drinking again. Or, or, you know, maybe because I use CBD oil, I think let's go smoke some weed or, you know, like I was Mm -hmm. thinking how it could progress if I didn't figure something else out. Um, so I started actually more for my mental illness than for my sobriety at this point. I started practicing mindfulness, um, mm-hmm. you know, meditating and reading, like reading from every single person who ever spoke about mindfulness and, you know, practicing mindfulness at, on a, you know, an hourly basis and to <coughs> incorporating it into my daily basis and to pretty mm-hmm. much living my entire life through mindfulness. 
And I'm not going to say, like, I hand out flowers to people and say, like, oh, you know, like, <laughs> I don't do that. I definitely still have yeah. road rage. And, you know, I tell, call people motherfuckers on the highway, and I definitely speed well, up and cut them well, off. Well, you're from Massachusetts. That's a given. <laughs> you got... Mm, I was... I, I know... I'm, yeah, my sister went to college up in Boston, so I know all about math holes. <laughs> so, yeah, so, you know, and it wasn't, um, so it didn't, it didn't change me as a person, but it changed the way I was responding to life, and that was a big yes. deal. Um, so I no longer was lashing out, you know, emotionally and getting upset when somebody brought up my history or somebody said, like, oh, you know, how this happened, you know, because my faith was paralyzed. So now, mm. now I, I, I think I look pretty, pretty, uh, symmetrical, but there are some things. And if I stumble, you know, there are things that are noticeable that people would say like, Oh, well, why did, why did that happen? And then I would tell mm. the story and instead of being proud of myself of what, you know, how far I came and everything I, I overcame, I would feel embarrassed and, you know, afraid to Ooh. tell my story because, you know, it, it it is sad when you think about it, but at the same time, like I couldn't see how powerful it was. I couldn't see how strong I was because yeah. I was, I was letting other things get in the way. You know, I was letting my ego get to me. I was letting everything, you know? And so that mindfulness really turned things around where I realized how strong I was. I realized what a amazing recovery that was in like that, never happened. Like people that mm -hmm. happened, you know, like I've never ever heard of anybody getting what I have to the severity that I have. And, mm -hmm. and so it was, you know, that, that helped me mentally, the mindfulness, but what I noticed was it made my sobriety because I, again, I hadn't relapsed yet, but I had those nagging thoughts that it could happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I, I did have those, you know, awful drinking nightmares that people get. And I always thought maybe, maybe that's a premonition. Maybe it's, you know, it's because my brain really wants me to go back to drinking and I'm going to be so, you know, weak that I'm just going to do it, you know. And um, just little things like, you know, making a big dinner and a memory of me, you know, taking a shot while I was waiting for something to boil, you know, like just something like that, you know, those things all seem to, I, I don't want to say vanish, but they, they just came at like a lesser degree now that I have mm -hmm. mindfulness. And so I, like I started thinking, I'm like, this has got to be really good for people in sobriety. So of course, yeah. I, you know, I started looking it up and I was like, Oh my God, you, this is like a, a way to recover. Like this is what people do to recover because I was let down that I didn't like AA. Like, I thought there was something wrong with me. I was like, why can't I like AA? Like, this is going to be my pitfall that I can't do this. And yeah. then finding out that, like, there are so many other paths of recovery, not just AA. I was like, it gave me, like, a newfound hope, you know? Like, I can do this. Like, oh, my God, this is this is amazing. I can do this. And, um, you know, so that was another turning point, you know? So it's like. And I, I'm sure, you know, everybody, you know, everybody has their own story of recovery and everything. And I know it hits people at different times, all the different um, points. But, like, it was like, I, you know, every year I've grown so much in my recovery that, like, it just keeps happening, you know. Like, so then, you know, once I learned how mindfulness could be so helpful in my recovery, I thought, like, how 
because I am such a, a loud person and I am such a, um, a vocal person. And now mm-hmm. I, didn't, I wasn't hiding my story. I no longer was afraid to tell the whole story, the dirty parts, the nasty parts, the embarrassing mm-hmm. parts. I just told mm-hmm. it all, you know, because I, I thought of what if another mother was suffering silently and didn't know where to turn and didn't know. And she ended up just like me because she never yeah. knew that there was hope, you know? Mm-hmm. So at that point I realized like, and I know I've heard it from people in AA that like, you know, to do commitments and to, you know, help others that are struggling. And so I was like, well, I can do that because all my life I've worked in the medical field and I've always been somebody who loves to help people to begin with. So now why mm-hmm. not use my knowledge? Why not use my story to help others? You know, like, why yep. not? It just, it feels selfish if I didn't do it, you know? Mm. So, Absolutely. So I ended up, um, I kind of, I don't know, I just, you know, I, I, I'm a thinker. I really like to think. And when I was sick, those, um, those months that I was sick, like I said, I couldn't do anything but think. And so I had mm-hmm. a little oh, yeah. thoughts in my head. And once I was able to start writing, I started writing. And my writing completely changed where I've never been um, like a, a poet or a storyteller. I've never been like that on paper ever in my life. Mm-hmm. But now, because I had all those thoughts stuck up there for so long, now when I write, it seems like it, it, like it makes sense. I can, I can voice my emotions and I can explain something with like just words that like I can't even tell you. Like I can't. Uh, the way I like the things I can think, I can't get it out of my mouth fast enough to explain it to somebody. So I write it, and then mm-hmm. I'm, I'm amazed myself sometimes. I'm like, "Oh, did I say that? Oh my goodness!" <laughs> so I came up with, you know, I did a lot of research on the mindfulness, and I came up with like a whole like curriculum. Like if I and so I while I was doing all this mindfulness, I ended up taking so many courses online and you know, so that way I actually knew the information, not just I yeah. you know, thought of it. You know, I was getting the information from teachers and professors and scholars and and it was so interesting to me. Like the way that my old medical field, the EEG and EMG, how interesting it was and how I grasped grasped it. I did the same thing with mindfulness. It was like everything. I wanted to learn everything. I wanted to teach everything. And so I made this curriculum and I had this, I I don't even know why I made it. I just made a curriculum for like for sobriety, like what I would teach Mm -hmm. people if I ever, you know, had a group of my own. And then, Mm. um, and then I went to another AA meeting just to try it again. And again, I just did something about it. I left there Caring more about the people and if they were eating, if their clothes were being washed, I cared more about their hygiene and their health than their actual sobriety, just because that's just how I am. You know, I just, I care about people, but for whatever Mm -hmm. reason, I just didn't feel comfortable sharing my story at the meeting. You know, it was just, Mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, and for me to be so vocal and to be shut down like that, it was hard for me. And so it was just another opening like maybe AA isn't for you Devin you know go to what makes uh-huh. you feel good and yeah. um, so I went to a mom's group one of my friends she said you know I have a friend who has a group in Plymouth why don't you go to it and so I went to it it was a uh, recovering moms helping moms and so it's just a peer-led group of of two mothers who 
went through recovery and they, they just started their own group because they had a lot of friends who were in recovery and they just wanted like a safe space, you know, a place to all go and be able to talk about stuff and, um, you know, with just mothers, you know, so it, for me, it sounded perfect because I'm like, this is great. And so I went there and it was in Plymouth, which is, you know, my old hometown. So that, you know, to me was comforting, you know, even if I didn't know the people, I knew they were all moms. I knew they were all women. And when I went to the group, I loved it so much. And, um, it really, it, I connected with it, but the problem was it was an hour drive. So with my Ooh. physical issues, I, I just knew I wouldn't be able to do it in the winter. I knew I wouldn't be able to do it on days that I was stressed and my neuropathy was acting up and that, mm-hmm. that upset me. And so it was, it wasn't a setback, so to say, but I was really upset because I found something that I thought could work. And now I, I realized I wouldn't be able to do it as much as I wanted to, you know, they had it Mm -hmm. twice a week and I wouldn't be able to do that. I could probably do it, you know, once every other week or whatever, you know, I just didn't, I knew I wouldn't be able to do it. And so Uh I, um, you know, I, I did go as often as I could. And, um, and then one time somebody said, why don't you just start a group near you? And I was like, huh, that's, I don't know. I've never started. Why would, you know, I don't know. I'm not even a, I'm not a recovery coach. I'm not a recovery, you know, anything. I'm just in recovery. And so, mm-hmm. you know, somebody heard my story and he was, he said, well, I think I might have a place for you. And I'm like, oh, okay. So a recovery center uh, heard my story and they said, well, why don't you come in and tell us your idea and we'll see, um, you know, if we like it, if we like it, we'll give you a room. And I was like, oh, oh, Okay. And they did. I went in with, you know, my whole curriculum, the thing I made for nobody but myself. And, um, and I wrote out a mission statement and just, I just, I don't even know. It was like, I just felt like it was something that I I could do. Like, I was like, I could do this. And I went in there and they just, they loved it. They loved the idea of having, you know, moms connecting with moms to add in the, uh, you know, the mindfulness and, you know, have a, a safe space for women to, you know, I'm not saying we bitch about you guys all day, but, you know, it's a nice safe spot where we can talk about like our abusive, abusive relationships and like all the stuff mm-hmm. that like led us to our own demise, you know, mm-hmm. and, and how we deal with those issues now in sobriety, which is completely different, you know, like it's, having a fight with my husband now is such a difference than having a fight with my husband when I was drinking, you know, like it's just 100% different. Like now, you know, like now I have these emotions that I have to feel and I have to understand them and I can't, you know, block them by going and taking a shot. You know, it's like, I have to deal with it right now, right here, you know, Mm -hmm. There's no going away, you know. I could go to sleep, absolutely, but I'm just going to wake up with the same problem. So it's like now, I'm, you know, able to cope with those issues at the time that it's happening. So I don't have to worry about it, you know. I don't have to think yep. of that fight I had with somebody a week ago because I just deal with it, you know. I just just deal with it now, get it out of the way, and say what needs to be said, and get to the conclusion. And um, so, like that's what we do in the group, you know, and it. It's been, I think it's another turning point in my sobriety because now, mm-hmm. like, even if I, and I, I don't know, maybe I, I, I'm going to sound funny when I say this, but like, even if I wanted to drink right now, I know I can't physically, I know I can't because I don't know what would happen 
to the, the lesion on my brainstem because it's still there. I never had surgery because of its location, so it's still there. I don't know what Ooh. any kind of drug or liquor would do to it. Would it make it grow? I don't know, but I know I can never go back to being paralyzed again because mm-hmm. that was a nightmare. And, oh, yeah, um, I can imagine. But then I also think that now I have all these women who want to hear my story. You know, they want to hear what I did that day. They want to hear, you know, that my kid did something bad at school, got in trouble, and how I handled it. You know, so it's like I feel like if I was to start drinking again, I would I would hurt more people because I wouldn't I would show them that, like, you know, this, all the strength you have is nothing, you know? Like, so it's like, I have to, even though I'm sober 100% for myself, I still feel like there's some kind of, you know, little part of me that doesn't want to fail everybody else. Absolutely. I know exactly what you mean. So that's, awesome. that's pretty much my story. <laughs> that's, that's friggin' awesome. That's amazing. Um, before, before we start with the Q and a, when you said Fall River, Massachusetts, um, one thing came to mind, and I, I, I wasn't 100% sure, so I had to Google it. Fall River is where Lizzie Borden's from, correct? Correct. Correct? Okay. Correct, yeah. just, wanted, just wanted to make sure. Do, do you know the rhyme? Can, can you say it in your best Massachusetts Boston accent? <laughs> I don't think I have a Boston accent. My husband says I do, but I don't think I do. But it's uh, Lizzie Borden. uh Hold on, hold on. Now I'm forgetting because now you put me on the spot. I did put you on the spot. Lizzie Borden gave her mother 40 wax when she saw what... No, Lizzie Borden gave her father 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she went and gave her mother 41. Yes, exactly. But, But this is the thing that people don't know is none of those wax are real. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, she... She gave her stepmom, I think, like, 11, maybe, and, like, her dad's yeah, eight. So, it's, like, it's kind of crazy when you think about that, because either, either way, I mean, my goodness. That's, that's still like, an exceptional amount of axe-whacking. That's what I was thinking. Like, my arms would, like, fall off my body if I had given somebody 41 wax. Like, I don't know. That's a little... Well, it, it, it was the 1800s. Women were more robust. They used to chop wood. Yeah. That's what they did. <laughs> All right, so now now to the real questions. That was the fun question. Um, okay. Eric, do you, do you want to go first? Go ahead, David. Okay, all right, I'll go first. All right. Um, you talked about, like, early in, like, your story, um, sort of kind of like, I don't know, like getting away with, with drinking, like that first night, uh, drinking like the, the, the Jack and Pepsi or whatever at the movies and then like not getting caught by your parents. And, uh, one thing that like I've always found is that the, the worst thing that can happen for an addict or an alcoholic is nothing like, so like no consequences, like you're, you're not getting caught, you're not getting in trouble. Um, so like, do you, like, do you also believe that the worst thing that can happen for an alcoholic or an addict is nothing and have no consequences? Um, in a way, I think so. I, um, you know, I remember a time when I was a junior in high school and, um, and we had planned this, uh, summer, uh, spring break to go to Florida. Mm-hmm. My mom, my grandma and my best friend and myself, we were going to drive down to spring break 
even though I was only uh, 16 at the time, we were, my parent, my mother thought that was a good idea to bring me and my best friend to spring break in Panama City Beach. Nice. <laughs> so um, that night, though, I was supposed to be home at like 11 o'clock to start the drive. And I went to a, a kegger and I got so completely obliterated that I don't even know how I drove home. I don't even know if I did drive home. All I remember is crawling up the front yard and my mother being pissed. She was so mad. Her face, oh, she was so mad. And I was mm. oh, man, I'm in trouble now. That's it. Like, I've gotten away with it. She's, this is it. Like, I'm going to get in trouble. And she literally just had me go take a shower. And she said, just so you know, as soon as you sober up, you're driving and you're not sleeping. So Ooh. instead of canceling the entire trip, which as a mother, I'm obviously I'm a mother of a teenager. I would have canceled that trip as a mother. Mm-hmm. I would have said, oh, fuck no. You are going to bed. You are getting grounded. You are not going to Panama City Beach. You are grounded for your whole entire life. I don't know what I would do, but I know I wouldn't have let my drunk teenager daughter go on vacation to another drunk-filled vacation. (laughs) Yeah. So I, um, at that point, I I definitely, uh, I knew I got away with it, and I knew I could keep getting away with it, and I had, I had no consequences, and. You know, without consequences, how are you going to learn that you're doing something wrong? Mm. Exactly. Love it. Perfect answer. What do you got, Eric? All right. So I guess my question is, you know, first off, you talked about how you went to that first meeting. And I don't think I've ever been to a meeting like the meeting you described where you have people from NA, you have people from AA, you got like this little like mixer going on where it's, uh, you know, kind of a fellowship mixer. I wonder, huh? Yeah. You know, isn't that kind of, have you ever been to anything like that, David? I don't think I've been to anything like that. No. But I I, I do like the idea. I don't know the name of it. Huh? Oh. (laughs) No, go ahead. I was going to say that, um, I don't know the name of it, but I know, like, when you Google all the AA groups, there's different ones, you know, that, and I think one of them is, like, uh, all something, like an all, not like an all recovery, because it um, didn't talk about anything other than the steps, Mm -hmm. so I'm not really sure, but I can get back to you guys on that, so if you want me to, you want to look into that, but I know, at least in my area, because we do have a lot of addiction in my area, there are those oh, yeah. meetings, you know, there is a meeting for everything, and yeah. uh, mm-hmm. which is which is great, you know, it's great. Um, but no, that meeting, like I said, it was um, it was definitely all age groups, and it was I I felt very uncomfortable because the um, you know, it, like I said, it was my first time there, and I was already sober, so it wasn't like I was one hundred percent struggling. But if I was struggling. I don't know how I would feel about it, but the fact that three different women came up to me and wanted to be a sponsor, in my mind, like, I understand where they are now, you know, because I'm further along in my recovery and I understand it. But at the same time, I felt, like, almost bullied. Like, mm, yeah. why are you, you know, like, I don't want to call you. You're a stranger. I don't even know who you are. Like, you didn't even say, like... I'm a grandma, I'm a mom, like, you didn't even introduce yourself except for your name, like, I don't know who you are from a hole in the wall, why am I going to tell you my whole life story, and what, you know, what makes me tick? No thanks. Mm-hmm. Well, I like, um, I like the concept of a fellowship mixer, I just want to throw that out there, um, 
Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. So that's um, another thing that, um, you know, because I, I don't work for this recovery center, although I forgot to add this in my story, is that they have been very proud of me and my group that I've been running. And so they offered me a scholarship for recovery coach. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, but because of all the issues that we're having with right now, with all the, you know, social distancing, it was canceled. Mm -hmm. But but it will be, and I will be a sober coach at one point. But, so the group that, um, the recovery center is called, um, it's like a, it was originally Stepping Stone. That's like the name of the company. And so Stepping Stone has like some sober houses and some detoxes or whatever. You know, they have their own, the whole system. And they had a group of guys who wanted to open a center up that was like a day clinic kind of thing, like a place for, you know, addicts to go that would have all kinds of meetings at all different times of the day. um, And they would focus on all different pathways of recovery. So what they actually have, they have AA group meetings, they have NA meetings, they have, you know, my meeting, which is a mom's meeting, they have a woman's meeting, but they also have an all recovery meeting. And that's pretty much kind of what that first sober group that I went to that, that, um, you know, it was, but that was for everybody. You know what I mean? Like the whole town, whoever wanted to go to it could go to it. So it was a very big, overwhelming meeting, but at the recovery Mm -hmm. center where I go, you know, it's, it's more, you don't have to be a member. It's not like a said, said kind of thing, but it's, um, it's a little bit of a smaller group of people, so it, it isn't so overwhelming. But it, it is called All Recovery. So I actually went to it today online, like a Zoom meeting kind of thing. And it's, um, they, the only real rule is that you can't put down somebody else's method of recovery. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you want to talk about your steps. Like if you want to say, I did this step and this helped me. Or when I come on, I talk about how I meditate and this helped me. And, you know, you just say whatever helped you. And obviously, you guys know, it's, you know, you'll, you'll find something that you connect with, with somebody oh, yeah. else. So it's, yes. So I really, I love the all recovery meeting because it, it does give you so many different stories and so many different ways of, you know, coping with things. And even if I don't do the steps, Sometimes I hear something in someone's step work where I think, "Ooh, that's a good idea." Like I might mm-hmm. do that, <laughs> but I don't want to sit there and do all the steps, and I don't want to memorize, you know, prayers, you know, the serenity prayer that I have to say every time I go to the bathroom. You know, I just <laughs> that's just my own thing, you know, and that's. Yeah. But I have friends who they literally say the serenity prayer all day long, and that's amazing if that's what keeps them. You know, if that's what keeps them going, then more power to you. And who am I to say not to do it, you know? Mm. Yes. I like that. All right. All right. Um, hmm. <laughs> All right. Um, so you talked about, uh, like, uh, after you became a mom, like, you couldn't really, like, see yourself going back to, to like, any sort of drug use. But, um uh, eventually the alcohol came back into the picture. So m- my question is, does the social acceptability of alcohol make it even harder to quit than drugs? Yes, that is a uh, 100% given in my mind, at least. And mm-hmm. I, I am, I mean, I'm not saying, uh, 
let's, you know, let's just go through stores and just bash everything that has wine glasses on it. But yeah, it's this idea, like this media pushes out or, you know, social media and like mommy's time out and, you know, oh, we're at a play date and all the kids are running around and having our glasses of wine. Like, wow. Yep. What? How is yep. that? Whoever, like, even when I was drinking, I don't remember doing that. But at the same point, I don't. I did a lot of bad things, so I don't know. But I do know that now that I'm sober and looking at that situation, that is not a good idea to have a bunch of women drinking and then having to drive their kids home. You know, yeah. there's so many oh, irresponsible. Yeah, it's um, you know, and sometimes I see cute shirts. You know, like, whatever they say, you know, and I'm like, oh, that's a cute shirt. But at the same time, it, it upsets me because, like, I went into a store looking for, like, a present for a person in sobriety. And um, I was, it was like a pack of pencils. And the pencils were all pencils. They were for children, I'm sure. I don't know because one of them said, uh, go bother your father, wine time you wine more than my wine or something like that. Like every thing had a, a, a reference to alcohol and children. And so yeah. like, because I am a mom that, that hurt me. I was like, Oh my God, like what, like who, who thinks of these things? Who thinks it's okay to have a, you know, these like mixing alcohol and children. Like it just boggles my mind. But the fact is, that's why I do feel like I had such a hard time at the beginning when I did finally feel like I wanted to sober up. I felt mm-hmm. like I couldn't because it doesn't matter where I went. I would always be near it. You know, it doesn't matter if I was at Chuck E. Cheese with my kids, you could just go get a big thing of beer, you know, like it didn't matter where I was. Mm. Social, yeah. you know, alcohol and social situations is just so normal. And it's, you know, like, it's like, the only time that it's not normal is when people are getting in car accidents and killing people. Like, so you have to yep. wait till it's an extreme before you take notice of it. Yep. And I, I do feel like that is a big, big issue, especially with women. I really, and I know men, because I'm not a man, I can't say for them. And I'm, I'm sure it is the same thing for men, you know, like football games and beer, oh, yeah. and all the buddies yep. together and, Let's hang out after work today and get a few beers and, you know. It, yep. I, so I just, I do think, you know, like my husband makes a joke, like, you know, they always say like, oh, stock up on your beer before the game. Like imagine if there were commercials that said stock up on your weed before the game, stock up on your yeah. heroin before you go on vacation. Like mm, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> True. Like, yep. That doesn't happen. So why is it okay for liquor? You know, like, and liquor causes, you know, like, like, if you want to break it down, like, I'm not give, giving a go for anybody. I'm not saying, like, this is one, I'm picking one over the other. But, like, mm-hmm. you could you could do one drug one time and overdose. Yeah. And drinking, though, you could just do small drinks all along, and it adds up to a full-blown addiction, you know? Like, so it's, like, there's just such a wide range of, like, why it's acceptable and how it just, it's like built into our brains, you know, like you just, when you think of a, you know, 4th of July party, you think of beer and kegs yeah. and summer slosh in the pool, you know, like you don't think of, you know, just cake and ice cream. You think of just getting sloshed by some red, white, and blue vodka drink, you know? So it's just <laughs> yeah. it's hard because there's so many things that people 
you know, they make that connection and it's like all liquor. So when you're trying to get sober, it's like, how, how do I cut that connection? How do I stop mm-hmm. that? Like, and that's hard. And I, and I definitely, I know it's hard and I give mm-hmm. you know so much credit to, you know, anyone who is sober because it's just, it's like you want to get sober and then you, you don't know where to turn because there's not, mm-hmm. you know, the whole society is working against you. Yeah. You know, cause like, yeah. You know, there's a, that that saying that, like, when, you know, if you don't want to have a drink at a party, if you say no thanks, the first question is, are you pregnant? What? No. Oh, yeah. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. They're like, but why? But you don't want to drink? Like, why do I have to give you an answer just because I want to hydrate with some water and not liquor? Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, like, and it's sad when you're with your friends and that's even as adults, that's how peer pressure happens because they're like, yeah. come on, dude, one drink? You're really yeah. you're you're, you're going to turn into an alcoholic again with one drink, and I'm yeah. like, uh, yep, yep, <laughs> just yep. wait, I will go from exactly. zero to a hundred and be bashing people in the head in a few hours. So yeah, that yep. is what will happen. I'll, I'll turn into Lizzie Borden so fucking fast. <laughs> it'll be a fucking Boston it, accent come from. It'll be a fucking wicked fucking night. Uh, it's wicked pisser. My God, it'll be a wicked pisser. Uh. <laughs> All right, Eric, what you got? Well, I'm a little thrown here. Um, all right. Wait, hold, hold up. Just one second, Eric. I got to go park my car. <laughs> Don't forget. <laughs> all right. So um, you you kind of you talked about something which some people would consider controversial. Um, I've done it before, though, so I, I understand Ooh. why you would do it. Um you mentioned how you got off a bunch of medication and you, and you did like um, a self titrate um, from what I, from what it sounds like. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, if you did it, you know, with medical assistance, but I guess you, you were describing having like, you know, mental health issues and going from, so I guess going from being medicated to not being medicated, what changes have you noticed that you have to be conscious of? Um, because your brain, your brain is like, you have a different brain chemistry, right? Than other people. So you have to like be more cognitive of what's kind of going on with your brain. Um, like I, I kind of have to think every once in a while, you know, and sometimes I don't really pick up on it where I'm like, Oh, that's not a normal way of thinking. Um, you know, maybe, maybe something you gotta, you gotta pick up on this. Right. Um, how, how do you go about managing your mental health in a way that you aren't being, you know, like you don't have, I guess, I don't want to call it a crutch, but you don't have the, I guess the, you don't have the chemical, um, the, uh, what, what do you, like the medication to chemically balance your brain? Like how, how do you manage that? So that first, um, when I think I got off, um, well, you asked a couple questions. So the first one was, I did not uh, do it with the doctors. Mm-hmm. I, um, mm-hmm. And I do not suggest that. I suggest everybody who wants to get off medication, I feel like they should at least do it with their doctors knowing about it. Um, only because there are withdrawals, and some of them are you know, you still need levels to be checked on certain things. Like if it's a blood pressure thing or, yeah. you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is, 
you still need your levels to be checked. And I don't, I wouldn't ever want anybody to do that. Um, you know, if they have something like if you're having seizures and you know, you, those kind of things like, and I guess, again, it's everybody, their own, however they feel, you know, you are the boss of your body and doctors are very smart. And sometimes though book smart doesn't always correlate with the human connection because the patient themselves know how they feel and sometimes it's hard to explain it to a doctor and they you know they don't always think about the side effects affecting the person they think about the actual disease you know and they just want to make that person better so you know I definitely would check with a doctor before you get off any meds um and you know you just have to monitor yourself and um I definitely did it way too fast I know that because I had a lot of withdrawal um, so I just kind of sat in my house for like two weeks, like every time I withdrew from a new medicine for like two weeks, because it was, the withdrawals are just awful. Cause I was on like gabapentin, which is mm-hmm. like they say, like getting off heroin, which I've never mm-hmm. been on heroin. So I don't know, but I can just imagine it now because that was awful. I was like sick to my stomach for two weeks and it was awful. So anyways, going back to the other question. Um, so when I did get off all the meds, I I've been crazy my whole life. So to now be off the medicine and have nothing to, um, to, uh, I guess, calm me down, nothing to kind of put me at a level mood, nothing to calm me down when, you know, people are coming at me with words, you know, like instead of, I don't know, I just, I didn't, after getting off the meds, I did have a couple months where I was very, like erratic, you know, I just, mm-hmm. I was, I was up and down. My bipolar was off the charts and my depression. I mean, I was crying in the bathroom and the thing I noticed though, as the time kept going, it's like it, the more the time came, the less of the drug, you know, because even though you're off the meds, it's still in your system for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was like my body was fighting the remnants of the drug in my system, but also like fighting the bipolar. So it's like, it was just such a wacky kind of combination. And, um, and that's when I, when I, like I said, I, I did the mindfulness because I, I heard it was a good behavioral, you know, therapy. I heard it was, you know, I thought about all the different things I could do if I didn't take medicine. Like, could I go into therapy? Should I do hypnosis? Should I do like, there were so many ideas I was thinking of, but at the same time, I, I wanted to kind of stay away from the doctors because I felt like every time I went to therapy, they just wanted to give me more meds. And I just, I wasn't having that. So I, once I started doing that, that practice and the mindfulness, it was almost like the medicine, the way that mindfulness works in my body. I mean, I'm still crazy. I can tell you, I'm 100% crazy. <laughs> I, I say some things that I think after and I go, Ooh, shit. I don't think I should have said that. That was a, and people will walk away sometimes with a funny face. And I'm like, Ooh, did I say that out loud? Yeah. What are you going to do? You can't change the past, you know? So you just got to move on and just hope, you know, so it's, um, it was definitely rough. And I thank my family for putting up with it. (laughs) And, uh, And thankfully, you know, I wasn't, um, at that time I wasn't like out in the public. Like I wasn't like working full time and I was working full time after I got better when I got back to my feet again. Um, 
and I was on all those meds. Like I was on my bipolar meds. I was on my anxiety meds. I was on my neuropathy meds. And it actually made me hard to function at work. Um, so like, I think, you know, getting off the meds for me was just, it was, it was, it had, it was the only thing I could do because I know I was, I was going to go crazy with the meds. So in my mind, I thought to myself, if I'm going to go crazy, I might as well just do it without the meds, you know? And I wouldn't suggest that to everybody because there mm-hmm. are, you know, there are very, very serious conditions that, you know, they do require some meds or they require therapy and, you know, a holistic lifestyle. You know, there, it, there has, some people really do just need that doctor supervision because, you know, if you're not a doctor and thankfully, like I said, I grew up in a house full of nurses and I've been in the medical field for 16 years. So it's like, I'm not, I'm not just, you know, completely blind to all this. I do have a medical degree and I am, you know, very confident in my knowledge of, you know, in medicine and the medical field and, you know, all the different things. So I, myself, I don't, I'm very happy with what I did, but I don't, anybody who ever asked me, I always say like, please see a doctor because it's just, you don't know, you know, mm-hmm. if you're not in yep. the medical field, it's just, it's, it's, it's tough because you don't know what's normal. You don't know if maybe that was, you know, uncalled for. Maybe that was like uh, whatever you just did was a manic moment. You don't even know because, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're just so lost. And um, so I, I do advocate for people to go see a doctor if they need to. It's just when you know that the medicine isn't helping or you think it's making you worse, it's your body. You have 100% right to say, I don't want to take that and I want something else or I want to do it a different way. And that's your own right, you know, and I think um, taking control of that definitely helps in a way because now you do have some something you can control. And I think like mental illness, a lot of times, I know for me at least, when I'm not in control of something, it makes all the other things worse. If I'm not in control of the situation, my anxiety starts, my overthinking. Mm -hmm. And it's just like this snowball that keeps getting bigger and bigger. And so I know that's how I, how I am already. So now that I have, you know, this mindfulness, it's instead of reacting emotionally or not understanding a situation, I'm able to take a breath and think about it. You know, and I might look a little cuckoo because, you know, someone's screaming at me and I'm just sitting there like taking deep breaths. But, you know, while I'm taking those deep breaths, I'm thinking to myself, you know, what is the logical thing right now? Is it logical Mm -hmm. to get in a fight with this person? Is it logical to cut this person off around a bend? Is it logical to flip out on my kid because of whatever, you know, like, and I start thinking and having that breath, like having that moment to think it's. At the beginning, like I said, it was very crazy, but the more and more I practiced it, it was like its own medication. It just became mm. like a soft wave, you know, going through instead of this like rocky, you know, running down a path filled with rocks, you know, it was just such a yeah. soft feeling. And it was, you know, definitely something I wasn't used to. So now when I felt it for the first time, I can tell you that too, that when I felt it for the first time, I actually thought to myself, I think somebody drugged me. <laughs> I think somebody put mm. something in my drink because I felt so relaxed and so normal. And I was like, is this what everybody feels like? I don't understand <laughs> this. What the heck? <laughs> and it's, you know, and it didn't happen overnight. It definitely took time. Um, 
I want to say the first year that I practiced mindfulness, it was probably within three months where I was like really feeling good. And, um, and then within that first year, it's like, I don't want to say I don't have a mental illness, but I also can say that if I was to, you know, you could throw any situation at me and I, I want to say that I think I would be able to handle it pretty well. Oh. So, I don't know if that answers your question, but it does. you had a lot of questions. So. I did. <laughs> yeah. Is it, is it about that time, Eric? It can be. Yes, it is that time, actually. Okay. Okay. But before, uh, before we, we, we get to that, I just want to uh, have a little statement for you, Devin. Um, I, I loved your story. I love the fact that you... Because what what Eric and I and, and podcast recovery is all about is is we really preach individual individualized recovery and people finding what works for them and not necessarily keeping to a closed minded dogmatic view or particular program or fellowship or anything like that, but really. Uh, taking little bits and pieces from here and there and really fitting it to what they need and what truly makes them happy and works for them. And so like the, hearing that in your story and that you really like built it uh, from the bottom up and, and are, and are just going to even greater lengths in like starting your own meetings and like working towards become our, becoming a recovery coach yourself. Um, I applaud you and anybody who, who wants to talk shit or, uh, um, I don't know, criticize you, just let it go one in ear, one in one ear and out the other, because what you're doing is awesome. And, uh, we're proud of you here at a uh, podcast recovery. Thank you very much. That, uh, that means a lot. Thank you. Good. Absolutely. All right, Eric. Now, without further ado, it is time to go to the Twitter. <laughs> <sighs> See, it gets, it, it gets a laugh, Eric. I, I guess. I mean, is, is that what you're going That's for, though? It's my game show moment. <laughs> um, oh, what do we got from the Twitter? So, Perfect. I'm going between. <laughs> I have two that I that I like. I'm gonna go with this one. I, I um, this is from Major. You gotta, you gotta pick one, Eric. I am. This is from Major. Um, and it, I, okay. I don't, I don't know if this is a simple question or, you know, if you guys want to make it more complicated, um, we'll, we'll see how it goes, but are you truly sober when you pick up and use an illicit drug other than alcohol, no matter how briefly? Mm. Give an example. What do you mean? Like illicit drug as in like, say that you, uh, say, say that you're, Say you're a bit anxious, and you take a clonopin, but you're in a you're in AA, and your problem was alcohol. Um, but but uh, is it prescribed by a doctor? We'll, we'll, for, for I think for devil's advocate's sake, we'll say it's not prescribed. We'll say it's okay. not prescribed. Let's say that you took something that necessarily you wouldn't usually take. And it's not prescribed yeah. by a doctor. It, it isn't. It, it isn't quote of quote quote unquote your drug of choice. Who's going first? Hmm. Me. Yep. Yeah. You're first, then yeah. David, and then myself. Okay. 
Okay. Um, well, I, I can answer this very quickly, I think, with both ways. Um, I think if you're an alcoholic and you were to pick up a drug just to, you know, whatever, for your whatever thing, I I do think that that, in, that hinges on your sobriety. I think um, anything, mm-hmm. anything that puts you into a different state of consciousness or a different state of um, just any different state, whether that makes you... You know, it's different. I do feel it's different if it was prescribed. If somebody says mm-hmm. prescribed, Absolutely. that's what different. But if it's not yes. made for you, if nobody knows you're taking it and it's not made for you and nobody, you know, a doctor didn't put it in your regimen, I do think it hinges on your sobriety. Also, mm-hmm. while we're on that topic, I do want to say this is my own thing. And I have gotten some flack from this from my friends, but I'm very serious about this. If my friends are heroin users or ex-cocaine users and they've gone through rehab and they are clean, I am 100% behind them, of course. And if they go to a bar and they get shit-faced drunk, I think that breaks sobriety. And, mm-hmm. I, I, and I know a lot of people say, but drinking isn't my problem. It's just drugs. But the fact that they're doing something that, again, is altering their state, I I think it breaks sobriety. Yep. Um, huh. There's, there's a lot of ins and outs, a lot of what have you to this. Um, I'd like to say like, first and foremost, it depends on any particular individual's recovery because, uh, there are, there are people out there who believe that, um, like, like in, in, uh, chemical dependence anonymous, like they go so far as to uh, include nicotine and caffeine in 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 their sobriety as well. Okay. So <laughs> exactly, and, and so uh, according to that, those people absolutely anything in that spectrum would be uh, a, a relapse or or a break of your clean time sobriety recovery, whatever. Um, but there are other people out there, their recovery, like just person X, person X was, uh, a, a heroin and crack user. They, uh, that, that's what they need to truly recover from. Now, um, person X can manage to, he has two beers a night. For he stops using heroin and crack and starts drinking two beers a night for the rest of his life, and his life gets better and he's happy and manageable and whatever. That's his form of recovery. So, and he never uses crack or heroin ever again, but he's drinking two beers. Would that necessarily be breaking his recovery or sobriety? I don't know. I'm not the judge of that. Only person X is. Um, me personally, the way I live my recovery, um, I, I grew up through NA, so I don't use minor mood altering substances. I don't take, uh, prescriptions that aren't prescribed to me. And, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't drink or use drugs anymore, period. So that's my recovery. So if I was to get, uh, I don't know. I, I have a severe headache, so I take some codeine that's not a, a, a 
prescribed to me. Yeah, for me personally, I think I, I would have I would call that some form of like broken recovery, broken clean time, or a relapse. Um, but it it really depends on the individual. But um, ultimately, like it, it it's it's what works for you. But uh, don't don't be a hypocrite. Like people in uh, a certain fellowship who then go to the marijuana maintenance plan. Like that's <laughs> not that's not cool. That's not. Oh, I'm not drinking anymore. But you're you're smoking weed every day, bro. Like constantly. Yeah, but I'm not drinking anymore. Okay. All right. So don't don't be a hypocrite, but be true to yourself and uh, do what works for you and improves your life and makes it better. Perfect. Um, so I'm going to get very language here. Um, oh, you're, you're going to get languagey? Yeah. Uh, but first, um, just to counter you a little bit, David, I, just because, you know, it's fun. Um, yeah, I, I do though. And I will preface by saying, uh, does not work for me. I've tried. And I fail every time. Mm -hmm. But if it does work for you and moderation is something you can do, more power to you. Because I suck at it. But I believe that certain people, that we are all all unique. And I do believe that um, it's possible. Just uh, it's not possible for me. Um, And if it is possible for you, that's awesome. If it's not, that's awesome. Whatever works. Like that's all that matters. If it works and your life is getting better, cool. Um, but looking at the word sober, and I've been wanting to talk about this for a while. So one of the things I always get flack for sometimes on um, social media with um, when we post stuff is, uh, and it, it's very much a rec- it's like very much a fellowship thing with uh, the term sober versus clean, and yeah. being truly sober. If we want to talk about sober. Sober relates to alcohol. Mm-hmm. It does not relate to other drugs. By by just definition, it is solely okay. based on alcohol. Um, I see what you mean. <laughs> so, by wordy, uh, by wordy, I know. I got, I got. Yeah, you get it now. Um, yeah. But I, I understand that other people include sobriety. I do not consider myself sober. I consider myself clean. Um, and I will never consider myself. That's the terminology. You yes, mean. that's the terminology. But I'm just saying. Um, so when you pick up and use an illicit drug other than alcohol, no matter how briefly, are you still sober? It depends on how you define sober. Um, if yep. I like, so in my in my sponsorship family, um, one of the things that you know my sponsor does is he'll work with people. Um, based on where, like, he'll meet them where they are, not force people to meet um, them where he, you know. Like, if they want to stop shooting heroin and are they still want to smoke weed every day, cool. Let's call that sober for now. When you're ready to quit smoking weed, we can talk about it. But for right now, you've stopped shooting heroin. Let's start working steps. Let's keep moving. Like, you know, like, let's not... I, I don't really care about the word as much as yeah. where, like... The action. The action. Are, are you improving? Because if you know that's a slip to you, 
you'll know it's a slip because it it, it fucking you feel it inside. But if it doesn't yep. feel like a slip, and it just feels like, and you know, it's just something that you're doing. I don't know because I feel like there's a big difference, and it also depends a lot on where you're at, right? Because if you're if you're at a place yeah. where you feel like, oh, I'm sober, then taking a drink or a drug, um, well, I guess a drug in this case, uh, it's gonna leave like a hole inside of you. But if you aren't sober, you know. And you just haven't, you yeah. know, you're, it's going to be a different feeling. So I, I think a lot of, there's a lot of pretense here that like needs to kind of be looked yes. at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot of ins and outs, or what have you. But yeah. Well, I, I think that's what, when you said, um, you know, it's however you feel, it's a, it definitely is, it's a personal thing because there's mm-hmm. nobody out there with a, you know, a hammer just hammering down on people saying, you're not sober, you are sober. Like, there's nobody who does that. So it's, Well, you'd be surprised. But there shouldn't be because uh, yes. we there can, be. you know, we can say what we think, but at the same time, it's just what we think about ourselves. But if I had, like I said, I get upset when my friends say it. But I'm not going to go to a bar and I'm not going to go into the bar and say, hey, you, you're not sober right now. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, I wouldn't exactly. call them out for it because no, if that's what they're going to do, that's what they're going to do. So I actually had a, a friend who, when she got clean from heroin, they put her on all kinds of mood stabilizing meds to the point that she she didn't feel sober, so she didn't count that, even though she was done with her heroin, she didn't count that as her clean time until she was off those mood-stabilizing drugs. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> at the same point, I was off my alcohol, and I count my last day. The last drink I had was on the 16th, and so I count the 17th as my clean day, my first sober day. And yeah. even even though the doctors had me on, gabapentin, uh, like Lexapro, Ativan, and I wasn't, um, I don't believe I felt high. So in my mm-hmm. mind, in my mind, I was still sober because I Absolutely. wasn't, I wasn't making decisions based from the meds. Yeah. I wasn't, Absolutely. I, you know, my cognitive function wasn't 100% okay, but I wasn't making decisions from an altered state of consciousness. You know, I wasn't, you know, and so I, I do feel like that, however you feel, if you, and you know, it is, it's hard because you know that I have a family member, I won't say who, but I have a family member who went through AA and he now drinks and mm-hmm. he thinks he, he thinks he's still sober or he says he's still sober because um, for the past 10 years, he only has one to two drinks. Mm. Although those one to two drinks in combination with certain other people can lead to six drinks or seven drinks. Yeah. So I don't know. Is he sober? Because now he's he just went over his threshold of a few drinks, you know, and it, who knows how often that happens. But and again, I'm not the boss of that person. But I wonder, you know, um, I just don't, I, you know, I just, you know, I, I got to live my own life and focus on my own recovery. But I, I do feel like there has to be some kind of at least a definition. If you are going to get into words, there does have to be a definition of what constitutes it. Only because, like, if you're in a place, 
you know, like a sober house, you know, you have to fit a certain kind of criteria to live there, you know, mm-hmm. and that's when it does become very serious on what you constitute as sober or clean, you know, like that is an important time then oh, because yeah. you're you know, your living arrangements are based on that or, you know, whether your insurance will cover it, you know, like in passing drug tests and all that kind of stuff. And so I do see it from all the different points, but it's such a touchy subject, you know, it's, it's just one of those definitely controversial things that you, you know, is it something worth getting in a fight with somebody or just letting them live their life? Yeah, Absolutely. All right. Well, we'd like to thank Devin for uh, joining us this evening. Woo! Yay! Oh, you did a great happening. job. So, um, Absolutely. Devin, where where can um, our listeners find you? Uh, a couple different places. I have all my social media is my full name. So, uh, Devin Frizzato. And um, I'm on, like, everything. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, uh, Facebook. But I also have, if you are a struggling mom and you are looking to be part of, you know, some kind of online group, we do have an online group for my group that I host, you know, weekly. We have it online as well. And that's on Facebook. And that's um, Mindful Moms Recovery Group. So that you would just type that in like in the search bar and it would pull up and it's a private group and you have to answer questions. And so if I don't think, you know, if I, if I have a question, if you're, you know, should be in that group, I'm going to ask it before I um, let somebody join it. Just so it is a private place, you know, where people can feel comfortable to voice, you know, issues or ask questions. So that's mindful mom recovery group. And while we've been on this, um, vacation, I guess, so to say, um, social distancing, not really, you know, a lot of appointments have been canceled and I've had a lot of time to get things going. Um, I have actually, um, been in contact with a couple of friends who are also on the same wavelength of me, I guess you could say. And so we've started a, um, a nonprofit organization called Mindful Moms Inc. So Mm. it's, it's a resource for women. It's, um, you know, it's help if women don't know what to do. They don't know where to go, where to turn. They can message us. We're on mindfulmomsinc.org. And you can also get it if you were to, like, look online. If you just typed in, like, Mindful Moms Inc. on Facebook, it's there. Um, and that's just really a resource for women. Um, you know, it's, it's still in its infancy. Um, and I hope it definitely grows. Um, but it's hopefully it's going to continue to grow but what we've already started doing before you know the virus kind of put us on a standstill we were traveling to rehabs and detoxes and sober houses and just telling our story and all of us have very different stories as you know um and they're all you know very important stories so um right now it's really just for women you don't have to be a mom to reach out to us it's just called mindful moms because we are moms who are mindful um but it is um you know i do hope that people will utilize that you know if they don't know where to turn or they have questions or even if you're not local in my state you know we'll work with other states trying to find a recovery center that can be helpful um recovery coaches anything that pertains to recovery 
Um, it's, it's just pretty much everything. So it could even be just that you're, you know, you have depression and maybe you're not addicted to any kind of uh, drug or alcohol, but you just need help. You know, you need a support group. It's, mm-hmm. it's there for that too. So that's Mindful Moms Inc. Awesome. Yeah, so Mindful Moms Incorporate. MindfulMomsInc.org, and then that's just a resource center. But if you wanted to be part of the group itself and you are a mom, it's Mindful Moms Recovery Group. Awesome. All right. Well, here at Podcast Recovery, we are aiming to expand the scope of support for recovering addicts. Accessibility and convenience of helpful services is paramount to combating addiction. We work to bring the message of recovery to every addict, wherever and whenever it is needed. We believe that a powerful voice of recovery should be obtainable, practical, and a touch and at the touch of a button. Every addict deserves to hear a message of hope, and Podcast Recovery is here to provide it. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. Make sure you check us out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. For any questions, go to podcastrecovery.com. But most importantly, everybody out there, stay safe and stay clean. <laughs>